Amen. Thanks, Cindy, for that word this morning. As we gather together, just want to introduce who I am. I'm Dan. Dan Song, one of the pastors here, and it's good for us to be together this morning. Um, as we've been in this Lenten season, we've been starting a series asking the questions or the questions that Jesus asked. And last week we looked at Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels, over 300 we're only going to be looking at eight. Last week, we looked at the question, do you not understand the parables? Well, today, as Cindy has reminded us, we're looking at this question of Jesus asking, who do you say that I am? As Cindy has kind of begun to get our mind and our hearts wrapped around this question, let's go to the Lord and ask him to speak to us from the youngest to the oldest this morning. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you, God, that you have given us your word not to just make us good people or to make us happy. But, Lord, you've given us your word to transform us, even as we saw last week. So, Lord, I pray that you would do that good work now as we humbly submit ourselves to your word, that you would transform us, that you would give us faith to believe that you are making us more like Jesus. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. As you think about this question, who do you say that I am? I, want, I thought of this story that maybe was about five or six years ago. Many of you might know this uh, good friend and brother of mine, but his name is S.J. Lim. He was the RUF campus minister here at Washington University. Tina Tang, who we just prayed for, was one of the students of his. And we have, I think, a, a crew back there repping WashU this morning. But S.J. Lim, actually, and one of the things that when he first landed here in St. Louis, taking the job to be the campus minister. And one of the things that he had to do was transfer his credentials of being a pastor from Chicago to Missouri, much in the same way that John Egan did. And in that presbytery meeting where they asked him questions on his views of theology and whatnot, he passed. And at the end of that meeting, you know, you want to go and congratulate SJ for passing and coming into our presbytery and becoming one of the brothers and a teaching elder of our, of our uh, Missouri Presbytery. Well, anyway, this other teaching elder who I had multiple lunches with in the past and coffees with came up to me and said, SJ, congratulations. I mean, and if you don't know SJ, he's a cool cat, not like me. You know, he's a lot skinnier than me. He dresses a lot better than me and has a little bit of facial hair. And we are Korean American, black hair, but that's about it. And why I share that story is because here, as we think about this question Jesus asks of who do you say that I am, there's so many different misperceptions and misunderstandings of who Jesus is. And as Jesus asked the disciples who they think he was, I think it's right for us to think about who we think Jesus is today. And so what I want to do this morning is look at just three things. And it's, pro it's straight from this passage. Is first look at what, does, what do other people say Jesus is. Then second, look at what the disciples' response to Jesus' question is. 
And then lastly, look at what would our response be to Jesus' question. So first, let's look at the response of others. It's interesting as Jesus is going to ask the disciples who they think he is, being a good rabbi and a good teacher, guess what he does? He asks the disciples indirectly. And what does he ask? He says, hey, what do others say who I am? Right? And the questions or the answers flow out. Look at verse 14. When you look at verse 14, they say, some say John the Baptist. And that made a lot of sense because there was this popular opinion, especially from Herod, that after they beheaded John the Baptist, that some thought that Jesus or John the Baptist had come back to life. And that John the Baptist was out to get King Herod. Well, not just John the Baptist, but others say Elijah. And Elijah made a lot of sense too, because guess what happened to Elijah in the Old Testament? He was raised to the heavens, and he had never died an earthly death. And so many thought that Elijah had come back to earth, and that Jesus was Elijah. But not just Elijah, what, who, who do others say that he is? Others said, oh, where am I? I lost my place. Jeremiah or, some of the, or one of the other prophets. And that, was, that made a lot of sense too, because in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says this. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. That there was going to be a greater prophet like Moses that would come. And so many thought he was just another prophet, a greater prophet, just like Moses who delivered the people of God out of Egypt. That this greater prophet would come and deliver the people of God out of Roman Empire and their uh, enslavement and bondage. So many different opinions of who people thought Jesus was in their time. And there are many other views as well. When you look through the Gospels, there were so many opinions that Jesus was out of his mind. That he was possessed by Beelzebul. That he had an unclean spirit. That Jesus was a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That Jesus was a liar. That Jesus was a Samaritan and with the devil. That he was not from God. That he was actually unlawful. That Jesus had a demon and he was insane. And that he was just pure evil. How about today? In our class, a number of moments, friends who are people say Jesus is now. I asked a number of my friends who are other than Christian. I told them, hey, I'm preaching on this, on this topic of who people think Jesus was. Who do you think Jesus was? And some of them said, well, he was a great moral teacher. Some, others of, some other of my friends said that, well, he was a revolutionary leader. One buddy of mine said, who cares? I don't even care. I don't even know if he ever existed or not. So many opinions like the past in Jesus' time that still exist today of who people think Jesus is. Think about Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist. This is what he wrote in The God Delusion. He said, Jesus, if he existed, was surely one of the great ethical innovators of history. The Sermon on the Mount is way ahead of its time. His turn the other cheek anticipated Gandhi and Martin Luther King by 2,000 years. 
Not just someone like him, but how about Ricky Gervais, this great famous comedian? This is what he said. He said, it's not that I don't believe that the teachings of Jesus wouldn't make this a better world if they were followed. It's just that they are rarely followed. Gandhi summed it up really well. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Jesus was a man. And if you forget all that rubbish about being half God and believe the non-supernatural acts accredited to him, he was a man whose wise words many other men would still follow today. His message was, was usually one of forgiveness and kindness. These are things that we have all heard and are not surprising in our cultural moment of who people think Jesus is. But how about the church? Think about the church today. Think about those who are religious conservatives. What do they say who Jesus is? They would say Jesus is all about the truth, right? What do they quote? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Love? Well, you could love the person but hate the sinner. We hear these things. But on the other side of the same church, how about the religious progressives? What What would they say? They would say Jesus is all about love and acceptance. He, was a, he, he promised this ethic of love, neighbor as self, no matter who the neighbor is. Thinking about the marginalized, the powerless, the vulnerable, the stranger. And truth? Well, truth is relative. It's about the individual and what they hold to be true. Right? So whether it's the world or the church, we have all these different misperceptions of who Jesus is. And the question I have for us, or the statement or the thing that I want us to think about, is that it is important to distinguish the Jesus of the culture with the Jesus of the Scripture. How does he reveal himself to be? Who do you believe Jesus to be? And that's what Jesus does, right? As this great rabbi, he then pivots. And he shifts the question of from what do others say I am to, well, now disciples, who do you say that I am? And now they get quiet. (laughs) I can imagine the disciples kind of looking at one another, right? If you're a teacher, you understand this. You know, some students, some of the disciples' heads are down, not wanting to be picked on. But guess who responds? The extrovert, the crazy one. Not that all extroverts are crazy. (laughs) But Peter speaks out, and what does he say? He says, in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's incredible. That is an incredible statement. It is a breakthrough for the disciples to say this. It is this watershed moment. You know why? It's like, it's like you exactly know where you were when, you, when the Bulls won their first championship. Or when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And SJ Lim was with me, my doppelganger. <laughs> He was with me as he hugged and celebrated the Cubs winning. This was that kind of moment where you remember where you were sitting or where you were at. And it's not because they were smart. 
It wasn't because of their intellect, but Jesus actually says in verse 17, why? Or verse 21. Oh, no, no, verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The blinders have been taken off their eyes. And for that moment, there is clarity in who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, who was promised in the Old Testament to come. And that he was the son of the living God. Then Jesus not only says, blessed are you because you know but he actually tells them more about his role and his purpose and mission here on earth. And what does he say? Look at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus not only says, okay, you know who I am, I'm, you know my self-revelation, but you need to know my purpose and why I have come. And what is it? It is to suffer, it is to be mocked, it is to be crucified, and on the third day be risen again. This is why I have come, and this is a rude awakening for the disciples. This makes no sense to them. And Peter is angry, and what does he do? He pulls Jesus aside. And what does he say to, to, to Jesus? He rebukes him. <laughs> Peter, the student, rebukes God, the son, and says, there is no way this can happen. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus responds with even stronger language. The strongest language he, could, he would ever use. And what does he say? He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Now, Jesus isn't saying Peter is the devil. It's the words and thoughts that he had that were, that were evil and from the devil. And what Peter was saying was, this can't happen to you. You cannot suffer and die. There's no way. How did the disciples go from being called blessed to being a hindrance? How do they go from saying you have been, the words that you said about me being the Christ have been revealed to you by the Father to then saying, well, you've been blinded by the devil. It's actually quite simple. The disciples had an incomplete picture of Jesus. They had an incomplete picture of Jesus. He was to be the Messiah who would come and defeat their enemies. He was to deliver them to Zion. This was what they were taught from the Old Testament. And you see that in Scripture, right? It's not that they were wrong. It was just not complete. It wasn't a complete picture of who Jesus was. The Old Testament, whether it's the prophets or the Psalms, talk about how God, this one that would come, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, would deliver them from their enemies. Scripture in the Old Testament talks about prosperity. It talks about peace, that the captives would be set free. But you see, it was incomplete because they weren't paying attention to the other parts of Scripture that talked about Christ who would actually suffer. The Old Testament language of this man of sorrow, 
that he would be rejected, that he would be pierced for our transgressions. They had a very incomplete picture of who Jesus was. And so when they say, far be it from me, you cannot let this happen. You cannot suffer and die. You know what they were actually saying? They weren't, they weren't saying this out of love and protection for Jesus. It was for self-protection and self-love. Jesus not going to the throne impeded them from going to the throne. It was out of their own selfish desires and ambitions to protect themselves of what they wanted. It was self-love and self-protection. Jesus' death would be a huge stumbling block and hindrance to their own selfish ambitions and dreams. One pastor said this, he said the disciples' resistance to Jesus' humiliation and suffering was a resistance to their own humiliation and suffering. They needed Jesus to be a winner because they signed up for glory. They wanted a throne, not a cross. I think the best way to think about this is, well for me at least, is Derrick Rose was a Bulls NBA point guard. And he was set up for so much success, to be the next Jordan. And in his first year, he was. He was MVP and Rookie of the Year. And somehow, I got an autographed official basketball of Derrick Rose's signature on this ball. I bought a casing and everything. And with his success, this ball would pay for my kids' college tuition. <laughs> But with his demise and his injuries and not living up to his potential, I mean, this might as well give it to my son and let him play with it outside. And this is the kind of mentality that the disciples had. But you see, Jesus knew that what was needed was not some shift of power from the Roman power to the Jewish people. Nor was it some nice little tweaks and behavior modification so that they could actually succeed in life. But what was most needed was reconciliation between humanity and God. Jesus understood that his life required him to go to the cross for the forgiveness of sin. For our self-righteousness, our pride, our lust, our desire for fame and success. He needed to come so that we might be forgiven. Understanding this, then what is our response? When Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? This morning, right now, what would you write down? If I gave you a pen and paper, what would you write down in who Jesus was? Who do you say that I am? What would you actually say? Would you write that he was a great teacher? He was one of great character. Maybe if we're really honest with ourselves, you would say, well, he's my personal assistant and gets me what I need and want. Maybe some of us would say Jesus is love. Jesus is truth. Jesus is Republican. Jesus is a Democrat. As we think about this question and wrestle with it in our hearts, I think there's a few things to be able to at least begin to work out. And the first is this, is cultural. As we looked at this earlier, how much of the culture has shaped your view of Jesus? 
How much of the culture right now has, sh- has, has shaped your view of who Jesus is? Are you willing, whether you are other than Christian or a follower of Jesus, are you willing to take Jesus at his own words? I think that's why we've been pushing the Bible reading plan to do as a church. Right now, we've been in Leviticus and Hebrews. And you look at all of Scripture, and it all points to Jesus. As dry and as repetitive as Leviticus can be, it points to the suffering, the Lamb of God who has literally shed his blood for us because of our sin. Hebrew, talking about how we need a greater high priest who can forgive us and come between us and the Father to mediate on our behalf. These are things that we see throughout Scripture that point to who Jesus really is. And I know it takes hard work to be able to tease out what we believe culture has influenced our view of Jesus is. But let me just give you the humanity of who Jesus is. In his humanity, when we look at the Gospels, Jesus came in the first century. Think about that. He was Jewish. He did not speak English. He was single. He was celibate. He was poor. He was living as an oppressed minority under Roman occupation. And he had no legislative power whatsoever. This is the Jesus that we see here in Scripture. The second thing we have to think about as we try to answer this question, is personal. How much of your own ambitions and dreams shape your view of who Jesus is? The reason I can ask that is because when you look at the disciples, they missed out on who Jesus was and had an incomplete picture of Jesus because they just wanted to focus on one aspect of him. He was a one-dimensional person to them. He was going to be this political ruler to overthrow the Roman Empire. And they were going to be able to sit right next to Jesus and get all the accolade and power that they always wanted. What aspects for you do you tend to gravitate towards with Jesus? If you could answer that, then you might be able to begin to wrestle with what are the deeper things that go on in your heart. Is it Grace? Is it Jesus' love? Is it that Jesus is a man of tolerance? That Jesus is a man of justice? If you can begin to see what aspect, what, what aspect of Jesus that you gravitate towards, you'll be able to see maybe some of the, the desires or even fears that you have that make you see Jesus incompletely. But lastly, we have to think about denial and surrender. You see, each time Jesus discloses who he is in the Gospels, you know what he follows it up with? He follows it up with instruction for how we are to follow Jesus, what discipleship actually looks like. And we see that here clearly. In verse 24, what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I think what's clear here 
is that we can only know ourselves clearly when we see Jesus clearly as he has revealed himself. Another way to think about this is we don't know the true nature of who we really are until we actually see Jesus for who he really is. And here, and we do that a lot, right? Don't just think this is a Christian thing. Whether you are a Christian or other than Christian, we all find our identity and our meaning from so many other things. It could be your job. It could be your family. It could be your children. It could be your wealth. Or it could be your failures, right? It could be poverty. It could be weakness. And those are the things that define who you are. But here what we see is that the gospel and following Christ is that we can only find our understanding and meaning in our humanness is when we can actually see Jesus for who he is and how he has revealed himself to be. And so as we think about this question of discipleship and denial and suffering, what crosses do we carry? Tish Warren, in her most recent book, said, we don't choose our own crosses. For some of us, it's unmet desires. It could be being misunderstood as a minority in a majority context. It could be physical. It could be chronic illness, health issues that have plagued you for so many years. It could be dark despair and depression and anxiety. It could be fractured relationships at work with your boss or with your coworkers. Or maybe it's your family. Relationships that have been broken for so many years. Your parents or your children or your siblings. These different crosses that we have been carrying. But what Jesus says is, I understand. Because I was a man of sorrow. Jesus walks with you and understands because he himself experienced every kind of suffering, every kind of trial and temptation in this human earthly life. I think what we have to remember is that the deeper we experience pain and suffering in our lives, the deeper we go into the very heart of God. We saw that last week. We are being transformed more into his image. Do you believe that? I was reminded as I closed this morning of a story that I heard from the West Wing. If you've ever seen that TV show, it was from an article this week that I read that reminded me of this story. And the story goes like this. This guy's walking down a street and he falls into this deep hole. And it's so steep that there's no way he can get out of this hole. And so he's stuck. And as he's stuck crying out for help, a doctor passes by. And so he says, hey, doc, can you please help me? I'm stuck in this hole. So the doctor looks down, writes him a prescription, throws it down, and walks away. Another man walks by, and it's a priest. And so this man yells out, father, can you come and help me? The father looks down, this priest looks down, and he writes a prayer, throws it down into the hole, and walks away. Third, a friend walks by, and he calls out to his friend, friend, can you help me? I'm stuck here. And the friend looks down, and he jumps into the hole. 
And this guy goes, you idiot, why did you do this? Now both of us are stuck in this hole. And the friend tells him, hey, I've been here before and I know the way out. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. As we carry the cross that we've been given, he says, I've been there before and I will lead us out. And yes, it could be years of the cross that you carry, but what is certain is that there is glory at the end. It might be on this side of heaven or when Christ comes back, but what we know is certain, as Jesus promises, is that for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So friend, brothers and sisters in Christ, Who do you say Jesus is? If you can say he is the Christ, the son of the living God, carry your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your words that are an encouragement. It can be hard to hear and to take in. But Lord, I pray for some of us who see Jesus incompletely, who Jesus is one of our own imagination or our desires, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. But for others of us here right now who have been carrying our cross for years upon years, Lord, I pray that your word would be an encouragement to them, that you who are a man of sorrows knows what we have endured and is with us through it and will lead us out. And for some of us who are searching, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them so that they might see you clearly for who you are. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.